Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of Canada, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to America Meredith. America is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. She's a publishing editor of First American Art Magazine and an art writer, critic, visual artist, and an independent curator whose curatorial practice spans 28 years. She's earned her MFA degree from the San Francisco Art Institute and taught Native Art History at the Institute of American Indian Arts, Santa Fe Community College, and Cherokee Humanities course. Northeastern State University named Meredith its 2018 Sequoia Fellow. Based in Norman, Oklahoma, Meredith serves on the Cherokee Arts and Humanities Council Board and the Collections and Acquisitions Committee of the First Americans Museum Foundation. So let's jump into this conversation with America Meredith, and we're going to talk a little bit about our shared love of San Francisco, both where we got our MFAs and my second hometown. America Meredith, thank you so much for joining us at Five Flame Questions. It's really great to have you here. Thank you, Joe. This is a treat. I love podcasts, so I'm glad you're doing this. And I'm really glad you're representing Northern Plains because especially the far Northern Plains, we do not hear enough from. Oh, yeah. It's, um, well, thank you for that. Thank you. It's something that's been sort of a long standing effort by a lot of uh, artists up here at the Northern Plains is try to sort of get more of an establishment, um, at least sharing of stories and representation, um, which is not enough anyways across America. I mean, we are always sort of trying to get um, sort of footing within the national conversation. Um, but, you know, um, up here in the Northern Plains, uh, we're sort of scattered about and, uh, you know, a lot of, I mean, many, many of the artists are rural artists. So uh, yeah. they, it just to be able to get to a show or get to an annual show is an effort let alone someone showing up at their door with a microphone saying, Hey, tell us your story. So, um, yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about yourself, uh, your background, where you're from, if you could introduce yourself, please. Sure. And I've always, this would be, you're asking later for advice. I've never gotten a good elevator pitch. <laughs> people used to, when I was an artist, people were like, well, what do you do art about? And I'm like, uh, neck bro. <laughs> um, repatriation and people like tune out i'm like okay i need i need something but i i don't have it yet but i i do always say art writer because you know i love the fact people argue with me like about criticism like people are like well you're not doing criticism in the magazine and i'm like well then define criticism and i'm like okay i've defined criticism i get to call myself an art critic <laughs> like there's no committee of art critics like yes you can be or not be <laughs> but anyway i'm an art writer an art critic an independent curator and then an artist you know but that's on hiatus because i'm the publishing editor of first american art magazine and that started where i think we're approaching we're in eighth to ninth year we launched in um 2000 uh uh, 2013 and that just takes up all my time <laughs> that just sucks up my entire life but it's needed it's important it's needed oh absolutely um but that's also the the curse of the the artist the working artist you know who has the the career the the second career as opposed to their art career and i, I think the art always sort of lingers in the background and you're always sort of looking at the clock thinking oh maybe i can get something in or looking at oh. the dates 
I'm the slowest. Like, um, I forget one, um, one art fair allowed me in Santa Fe to uh, do live paint, you know, so I hate live paints because <laughs> it kind of sends a wrong message that you can complete a painting in two hours, but I was working on a painting and I'd maybe painted an inch in the entire evening. So it's like, okay, this is good little education that you don't just whip out a freaking painting. I'm so slow. And, um, you know, my art is in the background, so I always fantasize, like, what would I do? And for a while, I was thinking about career. I'm like, oh, I would do residencies. I would do installation because I'm a painter. I have three degrees, and they're all in painting. Oh. And, um, yeah, I was like, I'm, you know, painting such hard work. I'm just laboring, and, like, no one cares. And now, more and more, I think, man, if I, if I could do art, I would do it for me. I would just do it for my fun, you know, because my dad, he would paint. He was, like, a genius, you know. Your next question is about influence. My dad, um, Howard Meredith, was like my big influence. But uh, he would paint something, and then he, when he was done, we'd joke about it. He'd go put it in the closet. Like, he didn't care about the result. He just enjoyed the process. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> wow, wow. What is your, uh, I guess, your medium that you that you like to work in, in painting? Oh, um, painting. <laughs> so I haven't, I you know, it's been a decade since I've been doing it seriously, but um, acrylic, which is a petrochemical, I always think of like, what are the ramifications? And when they were like, no blood for oil, I'm like, oh my God, you know, these wars are being fed, thought of this petrochemical I'm painting with. And then I did take a Kuz Shadler's workshop in egg tempera because I was really briefly very interested in uh, what kind of a painting people did pre-contact in the Americas. And then I learned a little bit. The second I heard, so this little gross, um, listeners, but uh, I learned that Cherokee people for binders, you know, we use beer fat for sure, rabbit fat, you know, a lot of um, things that aren't archival. We use the liquid of uh, deer's eye. And the second, I have really bad eyesight, so I'm always worried about my eyes. So the second I heard that, I'm like, I'm out. Don't care. Don't want to know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, the cool thing about egg tempera is you make your own paint. So for a while I was really into that, you know, grinding, grinding my own minerals. You can buy, you can buy raw minerals from Sinopia, which I really recommend. Um, and I like gouache and uh, watercolor. I hated art school. So I kept changing schools, which is exactly um, on one way. That's the worst way to get a degree on the other way that really, I mean, it's stupid, but if you want to learn about art and hear everyone's different perspectives, go to eight different art schools and you'll hear this whole range of perspectives. Mm -hmm. But I got um, a lot of uh, pushback and a lot of like, oh, you're painting in watercolor? That's not art. I'm like, what? Like anything could be art. Why can't watercolor be art? You know, I don't know. That fully explains my undergrad degree. I, I went to three different art schools. And, it took me, and you no, go from one school. It's not direct, but in the long run, you have learned so much. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, also too, you lose so many credits doing that, you know. And so you can <laughs> oh, have yeah, to start over painful. every several like, years. Yeah. One school I went to, because I never wanted a college, I didn't want college debt. So I went to affordable schools. So <laughs> one school just completely lost their accreditation, like completely. <laughs> No. So I was like, well, but ironically, that's, um, they were based on that, you know, kind of 19th century European, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, academic style, um, you know, where you, you have a still life and you draw that still life. You paint that human being from life. You work in oils, you know? So mm -hmm. we learned this really classical established method that's so tedious, but on the other hand, it wasn't fun, but we learned, I learned, that's where I learned how to paint. <laughs> 
I yeah no I agree I'm I'm sort of on board with that of course that was my education too so okay uh, but you know I think I think there's merits in deep focused study like that um, yes, you know, and also yes. too you you don't want to be fighting um, uh, is it process how's that saying go um, you don't want to be fighting the craft or the process while you're trying to create right you should be able to master. Uh, the technique is that what i'm trying to say right yeah yeah you don't want to be fighting the technique i'm messing this up i i it's been so long since i've heard that phrase um but any which way we'll both have to go look it up after <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah so but yeah it, it's you know you look at artists like oscar howe um you look at artists uh, from the 20th century who had that training and you saw that they weren't fighting the process they were just creating as they went and um yeah, so which you know, Oscar Howe went to school at uh, University of Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I know. Now we're coming up. I haven't seen the new exhibition, but I'm really excited. I think that's just an exciting. I, okay, so my passion is Native art history, and it's really exciting that Native people are able to reclaim and promote that art history. Yeah, no, it, the 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 exhibition in D.C. is beautiful. It is absolutely oh, cool. stunning. Seen it. Nice. I have. Yes. Yes. I was there uh, opening weekend. So um, they, uh, it, it's so great to see works that, um, that you've never seen before. The best part for me is he had these sketches that were of contemporary images. And if you're going to go see it, I, I won't say anything, but okay. um, you know, I've always, you know, I mean, Oscar Howe, he's, he's sort of painted traditions and ceremonies and all that. And that's sort of what you come to expect. But then there's a little surprise in the hallway in, in that exhibition. So I'll just, I'll leave it, okay. I'll leave it for you yeah. to discover. So Okay, yeah. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. So, and of course, you know, uh, Kathleen Nash Milby. Um, and uh, Christina Burke. That's like, I believe that's a curatorial team. Yes. Uh, they did such a fantastic job uh, with carrying on his legacy uh, from John Day, who had really had, had boosted him up. So um, oh. they did an amazing job and uh, hats off to that, that, crew for for doing what they did um, i'm sorry so let me uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah questions there's five questions <laughs> yes yes uh so who who are your biggest influences who who has sort of led the way for you and carried you forward yeah so my father you know and he had this vision when i was a kid that you're gonna be an artist and i'm like what <laughs> and um so we we went to i mean it's rare in oklahoma we went to art shows you know and um he taught me how to sign my name in cherokee dojua you know redbird um, you know, so when I was a little kid, like six, it's like, sign your name, you know. Um, and here, um, you know, I was around like Joan Hill, Sharon Auton Harjo, uh, Ruthie Blake Jones, all these rock star women painters, native women painters. So I was like, oh, yeah, of course, women paint. I didn't even question that. And now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was in this magical bubble of these talented women who really had to struggle. Even in the, even in the seventies and eighties, they really had to struggle. And um, so, you know, I'm definitely now. It's no question. Like, of course, women can be painters. Like, you don't even question that. But I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, they really had to fight for what they had. And of course, there's painters before them too. But it's like each generation. <laughs> you're like, um, there's a there's an interesting phenomenon in art history that women keep getting written out of them. But um, another important mentor for me is Linda Lamahaftawa and Laura Evans and her daughter Tatiana um, 
Lemahafta was singer, they just curated an exhibition, a big retrospective for Linda. Linda's so kind and she taught foundation. So she was my first art teacher, you know, formal in college art teacher at IEI. And um, she's so kind and she taught all the little hellions, you know, the little little kids that weren't ready for college that were like, you know, and she had to put up with them. And I think she, there's different artists that just gave so much of themselves. You know, she's building up the next generations, which you're kind of expected to from a tribal perspective. So she, you know, she could have totally been about her own career and just launched herself, you know, to the moon. Um, the joke is always like all those um, TC Cannon or Bis, all those, um, you know, that first wave, that stellar first wave of IAI Institute of American Indian Art students that went to San Francisco Art Institute. She's the only one who got her degree. Like the rest of them left. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. You know, so I'm really glad she's getting, you know, some public recognition that's well-deserved because it's also hard if you really are raised with your um, tribal values, you can't promote yourself. You can't be like, oh, I'm the greatest. <laughs> so I figure with the magazine, that's something we do is like, okay, we need to promote the people. <laughs> you know, we'll brag for you. Um, and then um, when I was, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, when I was six, I always joke, it's like, but it's true. You know, I had to first start volunteering and working in the native art world when I was six because my parents were part of this team that launched the Center of the American Indian. So, you know, my mother, Mary Ellen Meredith, my dad, um, my dad, um, Howard Meredith, but then also Mary Jo Watson, who's Seminole, and she got her PhD, you know, focused on Oklahoma Native women artists in 1993, which isn't that long ago, but it's long enough ago. Um, it was like totally foreign. And she's the main person for Oklahoma Native women artists. There's not a lot. So she, her dissertation's kind of it. So she's completely my mentor. And I've been able to, she was part of my very small bubble during COVID. So we still see each other. But I remember in her undergrad classes, um, she said, right, please write, you know, there's not enough. Like when you're a student and you're doing this uh, report, you know, publish that report. So that really stuck with me. So when I taught, I taught um, Native Art History. I, 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 I made all my, my first two classes uh, take their final reports and publish them on Wikipedia and they hated it. But, you know, that way it's not just dying on the vine, like you're actually serving the public. And then Kelly Church was one of my um, classmates at IA and, um, you know, we had that class together with Linda and um, she's just an amazing inspiration. She's a fighter in the best sense of the world word. And um, yeah, she's unstoppable. She, so she just constantly inspires me as a human being. And then I'm so grateful to have Suzanne Sean Harjo as a mentor. Cause um, she's also, she is a warrior and sometimes you have to stand on your own and sometimes you, you get death threats and you still have to do what's right. So that could be really hard. So how have you developed your career, uh, college, post-college? Yeah, so um, I hated, um, and it was really kind of heartening to hear from Nancy Mythel that she didn't graduate. I barely graduated. And I also got kicked out of my um, school, my Catholic school, because I kept skipping out of mass. So um, yeah, so I went to Norman High, and I got a one-point GPA. So I, I didn't believe I'd graduated. I had to, I had to send them a photograph of my, um, you know, photocopy of my diploma. I'm like, really? They did pass me with a one-point GPA, and I'll bring that up with students because it's like I have, I have a terminal degree, I have a master's degree, I've taught in two different colleges, so it's like, I do believe in the idea of maybe, maybe it's okay to take a break. And you know, in Europe, you have your gap year, and for me. 
I did go to New College of California, which is, I and I studied um, visual propaganda. <laughs> so that wasn't really full-time college. That was, but it was educational, but um, I needed to go work. So when I was 18, I moved to San Francisco and I was like, woohoo. And then I, I worked as a printer and then I worked as a bike messenger and um, I just needed to work. I needed to grow up a little. I needed to get away from school and I needed to have that break. So when I came back, I could appreciate it. And the Institute of American Indian Arts is very unique. Um, and um, when I went there, I was like, okay, I, I kind of needed, my brother had been killed and I was kind of obsessed. I was kind of stuck, which, you know, you can understand. Um, and I kind of needed to get away. I'd already planned. Like when I heard about, I, I, I got a poster and it was, you know, from, you know, you move a lot when you're a kid maybe, but I, I had that poster on my wall. I, I, I'm going to go there. Tisa Cannon went there. I'm going to go there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I finally went there and, um, you know, I was this goofy student, but I didn't have, I didn't have a car and I didn't have any money. <laughs> so I stayed on campus and I went to class. Like no one else went to class. And I was like, this is great. Like they're teaching us stuff. I felt like they were handing us things as students. They were handing us things on silver platters. Like here, meet this medicine man here, meet this famous, you know, singer you know, here. And I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to go to these events. I don't care who thinks it's cool or not. You know? So I got a five point GPA that first semester and that changed my whole perspective. I'm like, oh my God, I can be a good student. Like what? <laughs> you know? Um, and it was, yeah, the classes were fascinating. So yeah, absolutely. I'm so grateful for the teachers that were so supportive. And um, I was visual arts and I kind of love IAI because they don't ask you if you're ready. <laughs> They're just like, throw you in there. So back in our day, was, and I don't know if they still do this, but um, the studio students, you know, you paint a painting in class and then they would hand it over to the museum study students that would, they would frame the painting, they would um, package it and they send it off to Red Cloud. <laughs> like, you know, okay, we're going to build, we're going to build up that resume, you know, so they just throw you in the water, which I think is brilliant. And, um, you know, there's many different minds in my traversing through eight different art schools uh you know some of the schools were like oh well you don't show while you're still a student and it's kind of strange in the native art world you do kind of you learn you you learn your skills in this kind of glass uh, bowl everyone sees you develop so that is kind of odd like maybe it might be good to sometimes pull back and take a break from ex exhibiting but for me I got a lot of flack from a lot of schools like everything I was doing was wrong right so it would really help me to um you know, have this outside support, you know, because uh, every, you know, in my critiques, like uh, people would be like, oh, well, this is awful. Why are you doing this? This is kitsch, you know, <laughs> I, have all, I have all these pat answers, you know, for like being torn down in critiques. Um, but, um, and then the piece would like go win a prize, you know, at Red Cloud or Trail of Tears show, or I'd get written up in a tribal <laughs> newspaper. And I'm like, that meant so much to me, that level of support. I always figure as an undergrad, you know, if you're emerging, you just need support, you know, be questioned. It's good to have critique by your peers, but you don't need to tear down an emerging artist. But then grad school, you know, then you really, um, that's to be challenged. And I definitely, I went to the worst fit, but it was also the best fit because <laughs> San Francisco Art Institute, you know, it's really known in San Francisco as being this wild, crazy place. Like Helios Creative Chrome went there. The Avengers went there, you know, um, so it's this wild experimental punk rock school. And I, man, I had the worst timing, I think, because I went there. Things were uptight. My classmates were up tight the teachers were like what is up with these people <laughs> you know so it wasn't really fun per se but um 
you know, um, they, and I don't know where they are financially. Like they were, the previous uh, president before I went there, I really had bad timing. She had embezzled all this money and then committed suicide. <laughs> so it's like there was no way of recounting it. Um, so the school was really like trying to survive. Um, so, um, but um, they really pride themselves as being one of the first, um, you know, colleges of fine art, you know, quote unquote, fine art. West Mississippi, you know, they're very... Um, early established and they have no applied art they're very pure they're extremely elitist one of my favorite um little memories is san francisco has this great open studios program in the fall it's it's fantastic you know neighborhood by neighborhood all these artists open up their studios and i'm like i don't want to see the art i want to see your studio but um it was just great and i was like okay you know i was asking some classmates well you know hey when when do we sign up for that i really want to do that and my classmates like oh that's for people who want to sell their artwork. Like, ew, like gum on my shoe. Ew. <laughs> and I was like thinking to myself, like, all right, I'm going to have an art career and you won't. <laughs> this will work. <laughs> but that level of elitism just cracks me up. <laughs> yes, yes. In the museum world, I, I see that so much. And I, I don't want to <laughs> knock on the place that I work. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I think I, it's defensiveness, you know, because we're in America. Like, I mean, I've heard, you know, okay, like Kate Twist from Post Commodity, he said when he went to Czech Republic, people listened to him. Like, they just hung on his word. Like, there's so many places where art is like, yeah, art. Like, let's go to the art show. Let's hear what the artists have to say. And, you know, in the United States, I think there is like, who cares, you know, will this will this pave our roads? Will this give us more electricity? And, you know, it will. It will do economic development. Even if all you care is money, 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 tribal leaders. <laughs> if all you care is money, 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 art is important. But I think, um, I think there's this kind of anti-art movement here. There's this anti-intellectual, anti-art movement here in the United States. So I think people protect themselves, <laughs> you know, wrap themselves up in this, um, you know, what, this armor of elitism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 something that's definitely on display. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I too went to school in, in San Francisco. Oh, uh, where at? Yeah, um, the the Academy of Arts. Sort of. Oh, the, okay. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. you actually learn skills. You actually learn <laughs> how to do things. <laughs> it's also known as the the evil empire too. You know, because of all the. Oh land. yeah. No, they're real estate. Yeah, they're crafty. There's a lot of lessons to learn there. So we were kind of like the enemy, but I had friends from there, you know, and um, I did too. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh my God, like they're learning things. But I think, I think our school were masters. They're like, everyone's rebellious. If we don't teach you how to paint and we didn't teach you absolutely no skills, (laughs) then you're going to sneak out and do it. Because Kehinde Wiley, I was just, I missed him. I've never met him. But he he went there a couple of years before me. And he, I look at his paintings and I just, I want to eat them. <laughs> mm. No, but I just want to run out and paint because, oh my God, they're so, they're just so luscious. Yes, yes. Oh, that's so great. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, San Francisco, where, uh, you said you had your MFA. Uh, oh, yeah. You, and I should you... mention, um, I was a bike messenger <laughs> in the 90s. I was a bike messenger for way you too long and that heavily so, influenced my life you are so brave i've i've tried riding in san francisco and it's I'm, terrifying oh my gosh day one about hit by a police car that was it for me so yeah 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 i know that even the police are scary they're not on your side no, yeah yeah and my brother was killed um riding a bike in san francisco so yeah it's not safe <laughs> oh, i'm so sorry I'm so oh sorry. yeah no 
Yeah. But yeah, I was, yeah, I was there in the nineties as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a magical time pre.com San Francisco. Um, Cause you're bored and you walk outside and you're like, I'm entertained. Yep. And um, that magical, Oh my God, that magical, like if you had a crazy idea, you could just throw it around people like, okay, let's do it. Like we, you know, this is stupid, but, um, you know, I was really into punk rock, you know, as a teenager in Oklahoma, I'm like, yes, punk, hardcore, yes, but I thought I was born too late, which is ridiculous, because there's still punks today, I wish, I wish I could, like, little time machine, like, don't worry about it, so I'm like, okay, industrial noise, that's the next thing, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're like, okay, let's have industrial noise marches, and we're like, my friends are like, okay, let's do it. So we would like walk around downtown, you know, the financial district, circle the um, Transamerica Pyramid, banging on pots and pants and stuff. And we did that one time for winter solstice. And anywhere else, I'd be like, get the hell out of here, call the cops. And instead, uh, people, there were people caroling, and they're like, hey, you should join us. <laughs> and then other people started filming us. And I'm like, yeah, this is like totally, okay, cool. This is what you're doing. Let's roll with it. That sounds- I used to... And I wish I, okay, I did wish I learned a little earlier that if you're an artist, everything you do is art. Because my, my friends and I, um, uh, we had this uh, bike racing team called Team Glue, and we went around and lost all these races. Because from the East Coast, they're very competitive, and the West Coast, we're all chill. So they would have alley cat races, you know, so all these. And that's how I got to, like, travel and get to meet Glaswegian bike messengers and Dublin bike messengers and go to Hungary was all these bike races. So we had this Team Glue that lost all the bike races, and I'm like, that's performance art. That's interactive art. Like, why didn't I frame that as art? So I have learned that. Like, if you go anywhere, make art. <laughs> Even if you're just arranging rocks on the street, like, you have now had an installation in Fairbanks, Alaska. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yes, yes. So so that, that being the case, uh, how, how do you seek opportunities? How, how have they presented themselves uh, early on and even even today, right now? Yeah, I need to. I'm, I'm trying to work. I also I also work with uh, John Paul Ringle, you know, the website hero who saves us all. So I need to update my website because it's 10 years old. So it looks dinky. And I'm like, I've done things last 10 years. You wouldn't know from my website. But when I was an artist, um, I did kind of, um, I was addicted to showing. I would show anywhere. Like if there was an opportunity to show, I would take it, you know, and I thought at the time, and I think this is true, like, you know, in Santa Fe, there's a lot of, um, you know, pressure to sell. And I think it's just get the word out, just show, you know, and, you know, you hear that, oh, it's all who you know, but um, I'm not, you know, and I cringe when people, you can tell, um, uh, Christina Burke said as a curator, you can smile them all, what mile away, when people come up to kind of suck up to you, like, that's cringy. Like, I don't take flattery. I don't take compliments. So I definitely don't take flattery. Um, but, uh, you know, um, yeah, so it's just really, it's not being swarmy and sucking up to people. It's just showing up. So even if you're shy, go to the art show and, uh, you know, go to the gallery, go see art, go, you know, listen to art, go to the concerts. Um, and people, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, in the art world, we all have pretty wild, you know, a lot of us have extreme personalities, you know, Um and that's not a big deal. And, um, you know, people talk smack, like Santa Fe is kind of a snake pit, but it's like, you kind of know that. So it's like, okay, you're in the snake pit. Um, but people, anyone who's been around who isn't like straight off the turnip truck, they know people talk smack. So people don't listen to what people say. People watch what you do. 
what do you produce? And, you know, the Native art world is small, but it's also, you know, it's big. I don't know all the people. I'm totally constantly, like, learning about new artists I'm super excited about. But it's also small. And I didn't realize in the artists that collectors talk amongst themselves. And I do love in Santa Fe, you can never tell who's a collector. Like, they could look homeless and be a multimillionaire and be, like, one of the most important collectors. <laughs> so I kind of like that reality check. But um, collectors do pay attention and they watch growth you know, and they watch, um, and there's a lot of young artists that are so talented, but they don't stick with it. So people do kind of like, are you, are you here for the long term? If I invest my energy and time into you, like if I'm a, if I'm a curator, are you going to keep showing? Are you serious? You know? Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, you know, we all want to know the hot up and coming artists. You know, I always, for the magazine, my favorite thing is to like, kind of see someone who's about to go like, you know Chernobyl <laughs> but I'm about to really light up and can we profile them right before they're going to do that you know so um oh my god I, that's, that's one of the things I love but um and then as a curator I went through a time period where I would curate anywhere I loved and I, I kept joking with my friends like oh no you guys are going to invite me you're like here we have a curatorial fellowship wait we're doing an intervention we're putting you into therapy you know because I would just like curate constantly and I like um you know how when you're young and you don't know you can't do something so you do something um, so with a great deal of help from uh, Kelly Church, I think it's really important because people have taken credit for my work. So I really need to always be conscientious of uh, crediting other people. But I had a packet, you know, went into credit card debt and I did um, a three state traveling exhibition about Native Americans and the labor movement. Um, and, you know, I was I was an organizer for ILW and it really it's amazing um, as an activist. You know, there's a saying, liberate yourself first. And that's unionization. Like, it's not posh, it's not sexy, but it's like, um, it is liberating yourself first. Like, I would see people, you know, if you're a bike messenger, you're a loser. You have failed at life. You have made some wrong turns if you're a bike messenger. So to see people just kind of, you know, like, oh my God, I'm this, I'm this hard worker. I'm really helping, I'm helping things happen. And, um, you know, to see people believe in themselves and lift themselves. So um, the ILW was opposing um, prop, 1A in uh, California, which was um, to reinforce the rights of tribes, tribal sovereignty and gaming, that they got to choose um, how they carried workers. So they were against us. They're like, well, we can't unionize with tribes. It's like, yeah, that's because of tribal sovereignty, but the tribes absolutely are invested in the in their workers. They, you know, So I was like, okay, I was trying to get these di two different groups to see each other. I don't know how successful that was. So um, yeah, I just curated the show. So we we're in this hole in the wall in San Francisco where unions are common, but natives are um, exotic. Then we took it to Oklahoma where natives, you know, 10% of the population is actually a member of a tribe here. Um, but unions are very exotic. Then we went to... Um, we went to uh, Minneapolis, um, Michigan, and that was the perfect fit. That was <laughs> because they were rev really talking about um, Gun Lake, Potawatomi, were putting in a casino. So people were really talking about jobs. They were talking about workers' rights. And then, you know, of course, huge Native population in Michigan, too. So what was the point of that? Oh, that I used to show anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um you had mentioned at the onset too, uh, and I think this is very important um, about Nagpra. Uh, yes, can you can you talk a little bit about maybe your experience with that? Um, uh, yeah, please. 
Right. And I don't have the close connection that you and your family have. Um, but um, after I went for, I, I, I went two semesters and it was, you know, it was crazy. I was like, get me out of the school. <laughs> so my dad's like, well, okay, you know, I just want to be done with college. And my dad was like, well, why don't you come to my school? And he, you know, he taught American Indian studies. When it, whenever I'd say Native American, he'd correct me. I'm like, I don't, you know, he taught American Indian studies at University of Science and Arts in Oklahoma in Chickasha. So that's right near Anadarko, but in the Southern Plains, there's eight different tribes there. So it was this really wonderful environment where the students were at home. So their families were checking on them. They weren't away from home. So it was a different vibe, you know, and um, in this tribal, uh, in this tribal, um, governance class the people were running for tribal office <laughs> like it was real so we learned about Lawrence Hart who just recently passed on you know he does this, he did the Sundance here and um their you know um their uh their efforts to repatriate their remains you know where it wasn't science um my understanding is a lot of the Cheyenne remains in institutions in the in the East Coast were um, to study the effects of the Remington. And it's like, I think we know what a Remington rifle does to human being, like give these human remains back. So that was just really heartbreaking and powerful that you learn why these human remains are separated from their um, families and their loved ones and their tribal lands and just warehouses and museums. Um, and I think um, every native person, you know, when you, when you're confronted with the museum collection, you're kind of, you know, horrified. On one hand, it's like, oh my God, all these beautiful things, but you see how their warehouse is like, it's kind of horrific. But, um, and also a lot of them are, you know, it's not science. Um, a lot of them were um, beheaded, you know, and collected for phrenology, you know, at the turn of the century, which we know is quack science. And I've heard that they abandoned the white uh, racial scientists that were trying to prove that white people are the best, you know, abandoned phrenology because they were learning that by their own like made up rules that other <laughs> tribes were intellectually superior, <laughs> like oh, oh, pseudoscience. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean just i don't know i mean it really struck me and it's that's how i became um uh that's how i you know was able to she reached out to me suzanne sean harjo have a relationship because i was still a young student who wanted to show everywhere and the um the um the ou native student show was at uh sam noble and they've changed a lot yeah dan um Dan Swan was really important. They've really changed. But at the time, they were notorious for being completely non-compliant with NAGPRA. They weren't following the law. And there's a lot of ways that museums have found that they don't, you know, let's be really slow. Let's not give our reports. Let's confuse things. They were very non-compliant. So I really wanted the show. So what do I do? So I created this case. And um, it was um, it was this kind of a diorama. And it was labeled 200,000 because there were estimated 200,000 uh, Native American human remains in the institutions. And it was all about, um, it was this kind of weird vignette where I had hands uh, around the small, you know, teeny skeleton and had all these rusty tools. Like I tried to make a tape measure look rusty and scary, but all these rusty tools for measuring and studying, pointing at this, just talking about, you know, kind of the pain of uh, removing a human from their um, burial ground um, where they've been maybe thousands of years and then putting warehousing them. Um, so Suzanne saw that. So she reached out to me and then she, um, she had me um, illustrate some works for her poems. And then afterward, like the joke is when Suzanne tells you to do something, you do it. <laughs> so <laughs> later when I had my own space, she's like, 
well, I would like you to do a show about uh, about uh, my poetry. And I'm like, well, all right, I'm going to do that. And then she picked these rock star artists that would have nothing to do with me normally. <laughs> you know, Edgar Heaperbirds, um, <laughs> Matera Romero. And um, I was so nervous, you know, handling this, you know, artwork that's worth eight, you know, $9,000. But it was wonderful. It was absolutely fantastic. But anyway. So, you know, that's not really my knowledge. Um, I'm really pretty eclectic, and I was very interested and in, invested, and we're going to have a talk about this, you know, sacred imagery. So um, learning, you know, once you learn about the shell engravings at Spyro, they're like relevatory. So my dad gave me a book, and it's like, here, you know, and I, I copied them, you know, and I was like, I this is not my culture. These are sacred images. I don't know what this means. I got to stop this. But, um you know, I was just like, and I put the brakes on myself. Um, and then I was like, well, plants, you know, cause there's all these floral and faunal remains from every, um, every site. And I'm like, well, plants are for everybody. So I think, I think for native, non-native people that don't want to, um, you know, they're like, well, I want to, you know, learn and be an ally to native uh, people. Well, the plants are for everyone, plants, animals, flora, fauna, like we can all paint plants. We can all paint fungus. I was like fungus is a really important kingdom. We have to remember them and animals. So, you know, everyone has the right to go out and just sink their, you know, bare feet into the earth and um, get those nematodes. But, uh, you know, we all need a connection with the earth. So I think with um, that's something. So I, I started painting a lot of botanicals. Mm. Sorry, I can mm. go on a long tangent. This is <laughs> great. No, this is good. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. So, uh, can can we talk uh, just a little bit about your work um, at the magazine and yes. um, and how this is sort of uh, uh, came about? So my crazy backstory is um, at uh, in San Francisco. I was like, "Ooh, I should move to Santa Fe," and I kind of didn't want to because Santa Fe is like that magical place where you can go where people actually know what you're doing and they care. <laughs> like you're, it's the only place I know where you can tell your landlord I'm an artist, and they're like well, what do you do for money? And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Artist, cool. <laughs> and they still rented it out to me. <laughs> but um, so um, I, I, Institute of American Indian Arts, um, they uh, they had an opening for early Native art history and no one, want, no one wants to teach that because that is, you know, a lot of things that shouldn't be talked about, a lot of things that shouldn't be disinterred. So I applied for it and Stephen Wall hired me and he did tell me I was the only application. <laughs> and I'm like, you didn't have to tell me that. <laughs> I could be like, yes, I'm the best. <laughs> I'm most qualified of a pool of one. And I is the only place crazy enough. I took tons of um, art history courses. I took every kind of art history course I could take, but uh, I didn't have a proper degree in art history. And that might be a regret that I don't have a real, I'm not like Pinocchio. I'm not a real art historian, but I took the class and you can't trust what's written. You know, my friend, if McElroy, he said, if it's written, it's wrong. And I love that. I love that That's slogan. Right. Um, so, um, I was really nervous, you know, Marty, okay. Marty Tubal senior was one of my students. Can you imagine me, you know, Oklahoma Cherokee trying to teach Marty Tubal Sr. about Plains Art. So I learned, you know, you got to be <laughs> humble. And from then I, I have taught, um, taught, <laughs> I facilitated discussion um, with uh, Kiowa elders in Anadarko about Kiowa art. And how you do it is like, well, this is what I've heard. What have you heard? And then you learn something new, you know. But um, I just got addicted. I got hooked, you know, because I grew up in the native art world. So you kind of think you know something and you always, I'm always like, there's no experts. <laughs> Um, you know, so my mind would get blown 
every week. I just hear something or read something. I'm like, I never thought of it like that. And I think Native art history is our ancestors speaking to us. And one good thing, you know, a lot of even, you know, we're so proud. Cherokees, we have this wonderful syllabary, but that's only 201 years old. So before that, it was the visual arts. It's the rock art. And that goes in sync with this dance and the song. And they all work together. You know, so the beating, I think before mechanical reproduction, there was no such thing as decoration. Like on a pot, you might be kind of whimsical, but you're saying, you're saying a lot when you're crafting that, when you're sculpting that clay. So um, these, and the good thing about Native art is um, a lot of Native knowledge is kind of on a need to know basis and it's not for public consumption like you get it when you're ready for it but the art is a wonderful filter where i can be clueless and i can look at something and i am not going to get the deep meanings you know you really that needs to be instigated by someone who truly knows so the art is a perfect filter for the knowledge that you get what you what you're ready to get you can get from it so um so i just think it's so fundamental important this is intergenerational generational communication and a lot of um i really love uh walter echo hawk says that when he travels young native people are often like well we really want to learn about ourselves and i think there's a lot of shame that we don't instantly know everything about our past and our history and our worldview and um i appreciate here in norman there's a uh, potter geraldine redcorn and she's a cattle potter she was really in important she's also potawatomi in um, reclaiming Caddo uh, pottery, and she didn't know. She went to a museum and she saw Caddo pottery, and she just, it blew her mind, you know. But she's an activist too, so she was able to articulate well, there's reasons. There's very important systematic reasons in place why I've been separated from my history. And that is the boarding schools, that is, you know, all these government programs, uh, pulling people off their ancestral lands. Um, so all these factors are in place, and you have generation after generation of very, powerful national forces separating you from your history and your worldview and your culture. So I think we need to talk a lot about like, yeah, that's painful, but we shouldn't feel ashamed. We should just do the best we can to learn. And I can spend the rest of my life studying Cherokee culture. And I'll never even, even though we've lost so much, I'll never even know, you know, I won't be able to read every book and visit every show and talk to every artist. So there's still, even though we've lost so much, we still have so much. Oh, that, that's so great. Yeah. I oh, think. so the magazine. <laughs> I got I'm a in. terrible teacher. I'm an awful teacher. And I think if you're a teacher, it really helps if you're a parent and you have boundaries. And I don't, and I speak very off the cuff. And um, I do, you know, I'm just, I have a goofy sense of humor. It's just wired into me. And in some situations, that's just not appropriate, you know. Um, so I figured, okay. And by I, I had to have 30 people in my class at IA, and that's a big class at IA. We don't have the 500-person um, classes. And I'm like, well, I'm not a good teacher. That's just the honest truth. I don't like taking role. I don't like giving out grades. I don't, I don't want to be that authoritarian. So, um, but I love Native art history. And how do I get that? Because I, I would actually, I'm a nerd. I will, you know, I'll get on Google Translate, and I'll read a um, dissertation in, in written in Danish. I'll do that. You know, but most people don't have the time, they don't have the energy. So I'm like, okay, well, I can be a writer. So I started a blog and it's still up there where I, you know, all this conversation's happening among academia. And it kind of, uh, I kind of um, had to learn why they didn't care that they weren't reaching the public. And it's because you have to publish and you have to, they're fighting this war within academia. <laughs> so, and I figure my role is, and I constantly have to tell uh, myself, this is my role is to take information and disseminate it so it's accessible to the public. 
So, um, and we've all dealt with art speak, you know, and the gatekeeping. And I had to let my uh, subscription to art form lapse because I'm like, English is my first language. And I have no idea what these people are just talking about, you know, which is a little sad, but um, that's the God's truth. Um, so my goal is to just break it down because I figure if the artists aren't part of the conversation and the collectors aren't part of the conversation, there is no conversation. So we need, we need the academics, we need the collectors, we need the artists. And I'm also really keenly trying to uh, build bridges and I want to build bridges from the core because you were talking about how rural your communities are, but that's where the core is for native communities, you know, and that's part of pluralism and postmodernism that everyone hates is that there's many, many centers. And I've done arts about that. I've done art about that. Um, you know, uh, I have to keep reminding English is my language. I can't speak it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it's, um, you know, I have this little um, meme where it's like Tishomingo, Pine Ridge, uh, Gallup. I'm a arts, art, international art jet setter. But that's where our centers are. That's where the conversations are happening. And I think uh, from like, I always, I always, I used to tease um, Swaya in the old days when we we're all friends um, that uh, Rick Cloud, um, they had they opened themselves up to digital art before Swaya did. And of course, the tribal community is going to be more open to innovation because it's already a given that, yeah, you're native. We got that. We've got the conversation about, you know, different conversations about our identity. We can we can accept different forms, you know. So Rick Clad and also Trail Tear Show, they opened up to uh, digital art before anyone. So um, I really, I think it's important to open up those pathways where um, I hope um, people, you know, from maybe a rural community, they don't, they feel like the magazine is for them too, but also it has a format, you know, so people have told me, you can fancy up your graphics. And I'm like, okay, go look at Art Forum. Go look at um, Freeze Magazine. I do love Freeze. Freeze is wonderful. Look at Art in America. There is the the look of an art magazine and it's white, white, white you know, a lot of white space. I, I used to do zines, you know, where you Xerox copy. So like you try to cram everything in. So I have to fight that. I'm like, breathe, let the, let the text breathe. Um, but it's really clean. It's really, cause you want to look at the art. You don't want to look at my jazzy graphics. You want to look at the art. The art has a space. So, um, yeah, so it's the format of an art magazine. So I think, I hope, and give me feedback, like I'm ready to hear feedback from people, but I hope if, you know, maybe I'm an art teacher, art student who doesn't know anything about Native anything, you know, maybe I'm from Lithuania. Can I open this magazine and the format I get, you know, oh, there's reviews. Okay, I get that. There's interviews. I get that. So then, you know, I can see into indigenous ideas because um i mean that's a hard thing and my dad would always talk about this cross-cultural communication and you know um each of our tribes are different you know we each have our own worldviews they're all discrete worldviews and we have our own philosophy and our own language and i think the outside world always wants us to lump together like can't you just be one thing and it's like we're fighting not to be a stereotype defined by the outside uh we have to be ourselves we have to honor our own ancestors so um so it's hard. It is really hard. It's hard for a non-native person to see an indigenous worldview and then to realize, oh my God, there's 600 different nations in Canada. There's 574 in the United States. And then there's, and more in California that aren't recognized. And then yeah. how many in um, Mexico, like the majority of indigenous uh, peoples of the Americas are in Mexico. And then you go down the line. So at IA, they gave me, um, 
you know, it was hemispheric. So I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was teaching the first class was stopped at 1850. So how do you teach about the Southern Cone or um, the Amazon before 1850? And don't talk about grave goods. So, <laughs> you know, and I, uh, so we went by a steamroller. We went from Tierra del Fuego. I love that the southernmost people in the world are in the Americas and they're the Yagan people. We went like a steamroller all the way up to northern um, Greenland. And the northernmost people in the entire world are northern Greenland. Um, so I was just like, this is amazing. And all these cultures, you know, you always hear the, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. Well, that border goes for many different places throughout the Americas. You know, who gave us corn? Who gave us tobacco? In the old days, we definitely, we traveled, you know, and we traveled by boat too, which is really, you know, sorry, a little fun fact is um, in the 8th century, um, long distance traders from Ecuador went up to Western Mexico and they brought uh, all this really sophisticated metalworking technology to Western Mexico. So those kind of connections we don't learn about, but we need to. So I think hemispherically, we need to reconnect. So that's why it is Western Hemisphere. And I love, I love uh, Polynesian culture, Maori culture, Sami culture, Basque culture. There's so many things happening, but I'm like, can we have space that we can talk about the Americas? And I, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but, um, but uh, it, I think it comes more out of Canada that a lot of times people are like global indigeneity and they'll talk about, they'll talk about, you know, Canada and they'll talk about New Zealand and they'll talk about Australia, but they won't talk about Latin America. It's like, mm. well, why not? Um, so we should absolutely be cognizant of this. There's a language barrier. Um, but also we should never define ourselves by who colonized us because, you know, um, so I think there is a lot of like, I'm just going to put a wall up right at the Rio Grande. And there's absolutely no reason for that because every tribe along that border, they span both. And you've probably heard stories in Southern California, tribes might have language barriers, but they still have the same song. So people will go and sing bird songs together and you're like, oh my God, these ties are still there. But that mindset of uh, First Nations uh, community up there. That's interesting. I've, I've not thought about that before. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. And I don't speak Can... Spanish. It's so bad. <laughs> I mean, I know a little bit, you know, but mm-hmm. I need to, mm-hmm. I need to really learn Spanish. If I could sign up for one of your art history classes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <laughs> a beautiful good. thing. And I, I, maybe we can go back into, you know, using it, but um, um, Raven Chacon talked about it. I'm sure other people have talked about it. This technology is really amazing because are the cores of the community do tend to be the people that stayed home, that speak the language, and they are in the court. And I know that there's a lot of um, um, access problems with um, internet in tribal communities, but I really appreciate ATOM for their research on this. And tribal libraries are kind of um, very important institutions where people can sit in the parking lot and get internet. But the fact that we can now talk to each other is incredible and that during this horrible pandemic time um that we have such a wealth of recordings now and talks now it's so even processing that so that's kind of um something the magazine serves is it's not like you know you're probably never scouring for artists or never scouring for art shows or books to read there's so much that you almost need someone to filter it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. be like here well this is really important maybe you miss this like let's talk about this you know 
because we are, oh my God, we're in a wealth because we have so much information ideas. So it's so exciting that we can just share it. And I know language programs that now there's no limit to how much you could just, if an elder was down with it, you know, you could follow them and record them all day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think my tribe, so many tribes are, uh, they have these, these language uh, institutes now where they are bringing the elders in to tell their stories, recording them, and then making them available to members and to the, the public who are interested. Yeah. And when I was, I, I, I always loved newspapers, you know, and I actually did work in a proper newspaper, a business newspaper when I was 17, 18, which I'm glad oh. I have little teeny bit of a um, real experience, but um, people would send us, um, they would submit um, pieces, poems in their own language. So I, everyone would be like, oh my God, really? And I'd be like, yes, like I get to type up this poem in Hoopa. So that's something I'm really proud we've been able to do through the magazine. Uh, Michelle Silliman, she works with Micmac Hieroglyphics. So we were able to publish, I had to do the, you know, calligraphy for it because I don't believe there's a font for it, but we were able to publish the first poem in Micmac Hieroglyphics. So stuff like that excites the heck out of me. I have an I have a seven year old niece and nephew, so I'm trying to like learn how to not cuss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, okay, so um, what what would you want to say to the eighteen or twenty two year old that's listening to this conversation? Right, and it's so funny because um, like I would not listen to what other people said. <laughs> so you know, sometimes you just got to go find it out yourself. <laughs> you know, learn things the hard way. You know, but mm -hmm. um. For me, a lot of it's uh, personal, you know, personal relationships. I didn't have good boundaries. I still struggle with like trying to have boundaries. So it's really hard, but um, it's important to have boundaries. And um, I think it's important with uh, who you lit into your life and who you don't. And if someone makes you feel like crap about yourself, it's okay to, you know, have a little space between them. Don't cling closer, let them go. And other people will fill that space that are better. <laughs> so you really have to kind of vet um, who you listen to. And um, I think when you're a young student, you should, you have all this energy. Um, so if you can travel, absolutely travel, experiment. And um, yeah, maybe something will be, you know, kind of, a, you know, a failed experiment, quote unquote, but you, you'll learn something. And I think you really have to be yourself and that everyone says that, but, um, you know, you can't be anyone else. So don't hide from that. Uh, God. Um, and I, I think you also need a little space, you know, no matter what you're doing as a creative person, be aware of the audience, but you need to have a little space between you and the audience. You know, you have to have a little space for you and the work to breathe. Like, don't don't try to second guess what the public wants, because oftentimes, um, you know, um, I don't know. If you want to make work to sell, then so be it. Like that that you know, sometimes you just have to put food on the table. But um, sometimes you can also create something that's true and really resonates that will also be successful that um if you look in the long range and um that um i think um really paving your own way can be terrifying but it might yield more results in the long run and um also we have a small community so i think your actions will always speak louder than words that people do know <laughs> And I think people, if they're remotely cool people, they will forgive you if you make a misstep. You know, you just pick yourself up and try to do the best you can. I think that's I think that's great. Um, thank you. Um, are there are there uh, is there a last thought that you would like to to leave with us? Um, <laughs> well, if you do in in grad school, I did find um, if you find a really good teacher or mentor, just follow them. 
like I kind of that clicked and it's good to be challenged but some people it was just like fighting 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 um so I found uh Stephanie Ellis and the late Janine Shablitsky and they're just brilliant I could listen to them talk all day so I just I just signed up for every one of their classes so I think um I think Nancy said this too but find mentors and um I think a lot of uh, established people especially in the native art world we want to lift you know that's kind of we want to lift everyone up. That's something beautiful that Bob Hauser said about Alan Hauser. He didn't want to just lift himself up. He wanted to lift everyone up. So I think a lot of people that are really established, you know, will, they, they want you to succeed. So, um, you know, don't be shy about asking. I was one of those tough people that are like, no, I'll do it myself. I don't need any help from anyone, you know, until I started the magazine. And then I'd wake up at five in the morning and with complete anxiety attacks, which I never had before. But I was like, I am way over my head. So now I probably annoy my friends too much by asking them constantly for advice or help. Because, uh, but, um, you know, being open to asking for help, I think is really important. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the magazine is so incredibly important and appreciated. Um, I've had side conversations with other individuals, and we absolutely love the work that's being done there. So oh, cool. thank you for that. Well, it's interesting because it's an artist, and I miss artists. I'm like so glad when I get to see artists, but because, um, you know, they're funny and they're creative and they're just wonderful to be around. Um, and kind of being an art writer, I'm now an outsider of an outsider. I've like put myself way out there. But um, I found some wonderful people. So, uh, Stacy Pratt, her entire family's um, artist, and she's a writer, but she's like, she totally is like, now I can write about art. So it's not really lucrative, but I'm glad, I'm glad that I have a role. And I think when you look at yourself as a tribal person, you're looking at the whole circle. And I think to me, it was really important. That's why I look at myself, you know, as a Cherokee Nation citizen, is I can contribute. I see this whole picture and I have a role I can contribute to the community. And that's so important. So I'm really grateful. I think I've found my my place, and I've found um, ways I can I can lift up and contribute to everyone else what they're doing. Oh, that's so great, America! Thank you so much for joining us. This was so great and so fun. I really enjoyed this. Oh, thank you so much. No, I really appreciate um, your podcast and who you're picking. You're picking great people. <laughs> thank you. And me. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I would say they're they're in good company. So. Yes. <laughs> And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank America again for her time and sharing her story with us. To have America on this program was is something very special to me. The work that she does as publishing editor for First American Art Magazine um, is not a small thing at all. Uh, the work that she and, and the team there that they do to promote Native American artists across the nation uh, to uplift them and to support them in the way that they do is so incredibly important to our community. And the quality of work that they put out there is something to, to really appreciate. So I'm going to put a link to their website there. I encourage you to check them out, to subscribe to them, and to, of course, um, support the artists that they, they feature. Um, they offer uh, times for exhibitions and gallery showings, and it is a complete wealth of, of information that is so needed uh, to be known in, in our nation. So for the work that she does and that they do, thank you for that. And America, this was a fun, very fun conversation. And I really look forward to the next conversation uh, that we have. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. 
So please, join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on social media, Facebook, Instagram, on Twitter, and at the PlainsArt.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for someone for me to talk to, please uh, reach out to me and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. Well, that's it. You take care, and we will see you next time. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.